0: Well, we are continuing a series in the book of Romans. We started a couple of weeks ago, and I'm excited about starting that, and I'm excited about the whole process, but I've got to be honest with you, today is really uh, uh, not an exciting part of the book. If you remember last week, uh, we looked at the verses 16 and 17, and, and Paul was talking to the Romans about uh, the gospel. And I mentioned to you last week that Paul is going to spend the rest of this letter, his longest one, He's going to spend the rest of this letter expressing two ideas to us. One, the unbelievable lostness we have outside of Jesus Christ. And two, the incredible, wonderful privilege it is to be saved by Jesus. And the gospel is what brings those things together. The gospel is the message that takes us from one of those places to the other place. But today he's going to focus on that lost place, on what it does to us when we reject Christ. And so uh, I want us to really look at this, pay attention to this. I'll give you a little bit of application at the end that I think will be beneficial. Uh, But if you missed last week, you can go to our website at uh, FogKC.com, and you can listen to last week's sermon. It's kind of a warm-up for today. And so if you missed that one, go back and listen to that where he talks about the gospel and how we should share the gospel with others because it is a life-giving message. So today we're going to talk about God's wrath on the unrighteous. I want to read verses 18 through 32, which is what we're going to look at today. And then we'll come back and we'll take that apart a little bit. Let's begin reading in verse 18. Here's what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is what we're going to look at today, and I want you to see that this starts with God's just wrath lying on the unrighteous. God's just wrath lies on the unrighteous. Look back at the very first part of verse 18. If you remember, it says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, when you first read that, I think the question comes to mind, really? How How has God's wrath been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. How has it been revealed? I I don't understand that on its face, kind of. Well, what Paul's alluding to, remember, I just stated, Paul's alluding to the gospel, which he just talked about in the last two verses. The picture of the crucifixion should show mankind the level of both his unrighteousness and God's just wrath. Man's sinfulness is so extreme that God had to send his son to be brutally beaten and hung on a cross to satisfy his own wrath because he is just. Now think about for that for a minute. We hear all the time, we hear all the time that God is love and he is. God is love, but God is also just. And I don't know if you follow any of the uh, crime stories on television or, or any of the crime shows or any of that kind of thing. But it's irritating to me when I watch a trial. I'm kind of into that stuff. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to that kind of thing. Uh, uh, But but when I watch a trial, and it is evident, it is crystal clear that this person is guilty of the crime, and somehow the jury or the judge lets him go. And I think to myself, what a terrible injustice that is! That is so unjust. You see, God is just. God is just. He's fair. Although it's not our color affair, but God is just. And so uh, uh, he has to have the penalty of our sinfulness paid for. The level of our sinfulness has to be paid for at that level. And so the wrath of God is seen by him sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. You see, when we look at that and we go, oh my goodness, what an incredible penalty what an incredible uh, price that was paid. What, how, how huge is that? Well, the reason it's so big is because that's how big our sin is. That's how deep our, our unrighteousness is. That's how bad we really are. Now, folks, we need to understand that. We need to, we need to get that. We need to understand that. We need to never lose sight of that. God is just in his character And so he demands a payment for our sinfulness. And it was revealed from heaven through his son Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. That's how it's been revealed. When we look at this, the wrath of God is already revealed. It's already been revealed when he sent his son Jesus to come and die for us. That's the level of our payment because that's the level of our sinfulness. But then he goes on to say the unrighteous suppress the truth about God. He has clearly revealed. The unrighteous suppress the truth about God that he has uh, already and clearly revealed. Look at verses, the last half of verse 18 and verse 19. It continues on from what we just read. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Now folks, the reality is God is saying right here, There are no legitimate atheists. They simply do not exist except as a self deluded individual who denies what they know in their heart. They suppress the truth. Have you ever suppressed the truth? I have. In fact, I did it yesterday. I was with a group of people that were coming back. We went to St. Louis to visit uh, Tanner McLaughlin who was in a terrible accident last week and pray for him. He's got a long road he's going to be okay. He's got a long road to recovery. We were coming back and we got into a discussion about the cost of going to Worlds of Fun. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure it's like 80, 90 bucks, something like that. They're like, are you crazy? It's like 40 bucks. I'm like, no, it's not 40 bucks. It's like, you know, maybe that's one of those like six to midnight things, but it's, and they actually got on the internet and showed me it was like 40 bucks. And in that moment, I denied the truth. I'm like, that has to be wrong. That that can't be right. That that can't, it can't be that cheap. It's got to be more. And I'm sure that I was thinking of a season passport instead of a daily passport. But I I looked at it, I'm like, that's that, their website is wrong. Okay. Have you ever done that? Just in that, and then I kind of go, okay, well, don't be an idiot, Michael. I'm sure they know how much it costs to get into their place. Okay. And I got it. But in that moment, I was denying the truth. What God is saying here, folks, is that the mind of an atheist, what they're really doing is they're denying what they know to be true. Deep, 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 deep down, they know it's true. They know the truth, but they simply refuse to embrace it. They refuse to accept it. Against all evidence, they simply choose to believe something different about God. Now, uh, we can get into a long discussion about faith and, you know, intelligent faith and blind faith and all kinds of What God's saying here, folks, is nobody is really an atheist. Everybody really knows that God exists. And so when they say they are, they are lying to this. And they, they may be self deceived, they may really believe they believe that, but they don't really believe that. See, even when I was shown the price of going to Worlds of Fun, in that moment, I didn't believe that I believed that. But it was true anyway. And so we need to understand here that what Paul's saying is these people don't exist. And then he's going to tell us why. I think to myself, what is the evidence, Paul? You say this, that they really know that God exists. What's the evidence? Well, then he goes on to tell us. He says they reject the inner evidence of God and they reject the outer evidence of God. There are both internal and external evidences of God. Look what it says in Romans one twenty. It says, For his individual attributes, God's, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They, you know when you ask the question, well, well what about people who ne- what about innocent people who've never heard the gospel before? What happens to them when they listen? This right here says there are no innocent people. Innocent people don't exist. That that question is moot. There are no innocent people, and it says right here that every person that has ever lived clearly knows that God exists. That God has put in each of us that reveals both His greatness and his character. Fact is, just like an animal, we have a little bit of a God instinct in us that he really is there. He really exists. Now, we are black-hearted when it comes to obeying him and doing what he wants, but as far as his existence, we do have something kind of innate in us that kind of confirms his existence. I want to talk for a minute about the white-throated warbler mostly because I just like saying the name warbler, okay? This is the white-throated warbler. And he's named this because he has a white throat. And when he sits on a branch, he warbles. I don't know. (laughs) But let me tell you. Let me tell you about this bird. Okay, this tiny little bird, he summers in Germany and winters in Africa. As the days grow short, the adult birds head south, leaving their little ones behind. Several weeks later, the young fly across thousands of miles of unfamiliar land and sea to join their parents. How do they find a place totally unknown to them? Experiments have shown that they have an instinctive knowledge of longitude, latitude, and an ability to tell direction by the stars. God has given them a calendar, a clock, and all the navigational data they need to fly those thousands of uncharted miles to their parents' side. The God who did all that in a bird's brain has done so much more for us. So much more for us. He gave us as humans, even apart from Him, a conscience that knows and accepts the existence of God. But because some want to embrace their own unrighteousness, they deny His very existence. You see, if I admit that it only costs $40 to go to Worlds of Fun, I may have to go and spend the day there with my grandsons. I don't want to admit it. (laughs) If I can convince myself it's too expensive, I won't have to do that. No, I love doing that. Uh, But you get the point. You get the point. But it's not just the innate understanding of God's existence, folks. Through nature, God has also clearly revealed himself. When you look at pictures like this, and this, and this, and you're faced with two options, either by some cataclysmic, unbelievable metamorphosis of matter and stuff, this was all some gigantic accident, or... That there is a God who exists, who is creative and beautiful and glorious, who created everything. When you're faced with one of those two choices and you look at things like this, Paul says, Guys, come on. Really? Look, Look. Really? You think all this is some happenstance? Come on. You know better. That's kind of what he's saying. It's kind of the tone of what he's saying. You know better. And this verse ends, so they are without excuse. So the reality is, folks, those who deny God's existence, they're without an excuse. They're without an excuse. You see, they want us to prove that God exists and God is saying, I've already proven I exist. You just don't like the proof. You just don't like the evidence that I've already shown you. You know, no one really believes that God doesn't exist unless they have convinced themselves and decide outside of all internal and external evidence because they simply don't want to believe. That's it. So what happens when they make that decision? When they make the decision to ignore all the evidence and to not believe that God exists, what happens? Well, They replace God in their thinking, which darkens their hearts. That's the verbiage that God uses here. Look what he says in verses 21 through 23. Says, For all they know God, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They've replaced God in their thinking, and it darkens their hearts. Scripture says here that they claim to be wise, but they came, became fools in their, quote, wisdom. You know, it's interesting that today in our culture... That the uh, probably the biggest movement of godlessness is in our education system. Now I know we've got some, not all firemen are the same, not all cosmetologists are the same. I get it. But as a whole, our, our public education system uh, is trying to uh, pull God out of the psyche of our children. They claim to be wise, but the scripture says they are fools. And it says they're foolish thinking. The foolish thoughts in their head darkens their hearts. See, we must discipline our thoughts because our thoughts affect our hearts. They've replaced God in their thinking with some other God. Now, here in this scripture, because he's writing to the Romans, he's saying images resembling mortal men. Birds, animals, and creeping things because they used idols. Now, I know for most of you, if I came over to your house, I'm not going to walk through the front door and there's some giant idol sitting there made out of wood or stone. We're not going to walk in and you bow down to it before we go. But that doesn't mean we don't have idols. That doesn't, in fact, I'd say we have two really big, big, big idols in our culture, maybe three, maybe four. Wait, five. Okay, let me mention a couple and an idol is anything that we put before God. Anything that comes before God in our decision making, in our love, in our honor, is an idol. For most in this culture who don't profess Christ, it's themselves. They themselves in their selfishness and their desire to run and control their own lives idolize themselves. Another big one that we need to be cautious about is children, our own children. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't love your kids. I adore my kids, and I adore even more my grandsons, (laughs) the same amount. But here's the thing, folks. The moment that those wonderful, precious little kids become more important and more impactful and influential in our decision-making than God does, we've made an idol. Entertainment. Education. On and on and on we can go. We need to be careful that we don't have any idols. But the bottom line for people who reject God is now their heart is dark to the truth because of their foolish thinking. And This is the downward spiral, folks. Do you see what's happening Okay? You, you deny God. Then you begin to think foolish things, which that is one of them. Then your heart gets darkened. Uh, then all of a sudden, what happens after that? Well, God gives man over to his depravity. Now, when you see those word gives over, it, people should panic. I mean, that, <laughs> that is a time to go, I need to pay attention to this. Look what it says in verses 24 to 27. It says, therefore, and every time you see in the scripture, therefore, you need to stop and see what it's there for. And it's therefore telling us, because of what you just read, because of what darkens your heart, this is what takes place. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen for this reason god gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error now listen carefully In this passage, we see the love of God manifest by giving us the choice to reject him and accept the consequences. Wow. You see, he loves us enough to let us choose. See, he wants to have a relationship with us, but he won't force us. He won't force us. Now, we we, we think to ourselves, well, why wouldn't he do that? I mean, if he loves everybody, why don't he just force everybody? Here's here's the best way I can understand that. When Mandra, my daughter, began to talk, it was really cool for me to say, hey, Mandy, uh, Daddy loves you. Say, I love you. And she'd kind of get out the words, I love you. That was really cool. I mean, that was awesome. But the first time I walked in the door, she ran to me on her own, put her arms around me and said, Daddy, I love you. Oh, man, that was That was awesome. I mean, I wasn't prompting her. I wasn't telling her. She just decided on her own to love and accept me. That was just cool. You see, God doesn't want a bunch of puppets that he dictates. He wants people. He desires people who will truly love him, who will truly give their lives to him, who will truly accept his ways and understand that following him is better than our own way. He wants to have a relationship with us, but he will not force us into that, folks. So for these folks, he gives them up to their dishonorable past. What do you want to do after all my warnings, after all my attempts to reach out to you, after sending my son to die for you, after loving you and doing everything I can to zig and zag you to the point where you will see how much I love you? You want to do that? All right. Go ahead. Go ahead that's what you want to do, go ahead. God giving them up in this wording to their dishonorable passions means he's also saying that he won't force his way or his spirit to constantly convict us of sin when we already know that it is. I've talked to people who have said, you know, there was a time in my life where God's voice was very clear, but I didn't have time at the time to follow him. I have my own plans. And then I heard him a little more, you know, different times, but his voice has kind of grown dark. I I don't really think God calls to me anymore. I don't think God really exists anymore because I don't feel any draw like I used to. Well, folks, there is just this sense of God giving people up and saying, fine, you want to reject me? You want to go your own way? I'm going to let you do it. And then, when the depraved mind has taken over, you know what the result is? A depraved mind leads to every kind of sin imaginable. See, the downward spiral just keeps going, keeps going. Look at verses 28 through 31. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, you see, it's always about that, it's always about rejecting God. These are the folks that have rejected Christ. These are the folks that have a debased mind. See, when you deny God and his authority, every moral issue is up for grabs. Who gets to decide? Well, our kids are being taught in public schools. Oh, you get to decide for yourself what's right and wrong. No, you don't. No, you don't. This is why the denial of God is a denial at some level of all authority because when you deny the existence of God and you say that his moral authority doesn't apply to me, what you're saying is, I'm in control of my universe. Nothing more foolish has ever been said. It allows every man to be his own authority and results in every kind of sinfulness. I want you to look at some of these words this week during your community groups. We don't have time today to go through all of them. When you meet in your community groups this week, uh, talk about some of these words. I want you to pay attention to a couple that are very interesting, I think. One is inventors of evil. And you say, well, wait a minute. Hasn't evil been around? Okay, yeah, sure. If you think about it, there are a hundred ways, a thousand ways that we can be evil today that we couldn't be a hundred years ago. While technology helps us in a lot of ways, it certainly has made evil evil. Uh, Right there at our fingertips. There is a lot of ways that people today have invented new kinds of evil, or maybe new applications of the same old evil. I also want you to talk about the fact that in these lists, when you look at slanderers, you know, we look at this oh, yeah, those slanderers, and those oh, yeah, those gossips, I wish they'd stop, and people that are boastful oh, I know some people like that, they're awful, the foolish, the faithless, the heartless, and the disobedient to parents. You want to know why we never teach here about the family without talking clearly about what God says about disciplining our children? Because, folks, God always puts those who are disobedient to their parents kind of at the top of the list of those who are rebellious. Because guess what? If they get to be rebellious to mom and dad, they're going to grow up and be rebellious to God. They're not going to have any hope. So talk about this this week in your community groups. But once the depraved mind takes over, and men have no moral authority, they can justify and participate in virtually every type of sin that they choose. No conscience, no disgust, no guilt, no shame, no sorrow. I just do what I want, when I want, how I want, and everybody can just like it or not. I could care less. This results in them living a godless existence on this earth, and ready to receive God's full wrath on judgment day because they have rejected God's existence and position in their lives and they, have, and they have rejected the payment of wrath that has already been made. See, the payment of wrath has already been made in Jesus. God's wrath has been uh, uh, satisfied. He's no longer angry at those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. But those who say, no, I'm going to pass on letting him make the payment. I'll pay it myself. What? What? You have no idea what you're thinking, if you think that. Now you'd think this would be the ultimate. You'd think that this would be the ultimate of the downward spiral. There could be no more bad news after this, but there is. Lastly, after a depraved mind leads to every kind of imaginable sin, we see that the depraved behaviors Final step is to encourage others to join, folks. This is where our culture is. This is where our country is at. Romans one thirty two. Look what it says. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. They're saying, "Hey, we're not only going to do these things. Come join us. It's cool. It's fun. It's wonderful." And by the way, if you don't agree with this, you're a bigot and a hater. You see, even though they know, they know that God's word and justice declare their end, they not only thumb their nose at it, but they encourage others to follow them in their demise. They try to move the culture and humanity to follow in their godless decisions and practices. We see this in our culture As our culture uh, embraces certain sinfulness, certain acts, puts a stamp of approval on them, and then accuses everybody who disagrees of being a bigot. Folks, this is a downward spiral that leads us all down the path of destruction outside the mercy and grace of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Now, I don't know what I would be like as a lost person, as a person who hadn't given their their uh, trust to Jesus yet. I got saved when I was 12. This week, my core group, uh, we went to um, the main event to have a little fellowship time. And they have video games, some that were in the 80s. And uh, I went in there, and there's a game called Tower where you, you have to build 50 layers of this tower to win, you know. I got the 49 three times, three times. And I kept going, okay, guys, one more time. You know, slip my card through there. One more time, one more time, one more time, one more time. Because I wanted to get it. <laughs> you know? And I thought to myself, man, if Jesus was not in my life, I would be like cashing my paycheck on the way to the boat and blowing it all before I got home for dinner that night. I mean, that's my personality, Okay. I'm just an obsessive kind of, you know, everything I do, I do kind of full bore. And outside I guess that's one of the I guess I'm obsessed about Jesus now, which is very awesome. Because it's way better than being obsessed about gambling or or drinking or any other thing. My point is, while I may not have practice in being a person far from God as an adult, I can imagine what my life would be like. I can imagine what my life would be like if I rejected the existence of God and I was myself down in that downward spiral, making my own decisions based on my own desires and my own bent. It would be a disaster. I mean, it's slight chaos knowing Jesus. Think about what it would be without him. See, folks, I want us to understand what Paul's saying here because I want us to really understand that that without God and his son Jesus in our lives, our lives would all be in this downward spiral. We wouldn't just be a good guy. Hey, I'm still a good guy, good moral, godly guy that I just don't believe. No, we would be wretched people going through this downward spiral. Now we might put on a front like we're something else, but in reality, our hearts would be dark. Our minds would be uh, uh, deceived, and we'd be living this life of godlessness until we die and have to pay the penalty ourselves for our sinfulness. So what Paul's saying to these Romans here, he's, he's writing them, and it's been several years since the Roman church began, and he's saying, hey guys, don't forget. Don't forget how lost you are. Don't ever begin to go, you know, I think God is as good as he is. I, I agree with that part, but you know, I'm not really that bad a guy. I'm a pretty good guy. See, the gospel gets smaller when I begin to believe that I'm a pretty good guy. And frankly, God's, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. See, what happens is when I move myself over here, the gospel gets smaller and smaller. But Paul's trying to say, guys, no, 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 no. You've got to remember how awful you are as a human being without God. And you need to remember how good and loving and merciful God is over here so that the gospel stays as big as it is. I share all this with you today because, well, frankly, it's in the book of Romans. But secondly, because I think it's important for us, and I think it's important for us to understand that those around us that we see far from God and we begin to think that they are too far from God, that they're too far the downward spiral to ever be saved. They're too far down the downward spiral for us to even spend time with them or waste time on them. Folks, nobody is. Nobody. Is. We need to have mercy for those folks. We need to have grace for those folks. We need to share God's goodness with them so that they can get out of that downward spiral because nothing can help them outside of Jesus. Nothing. And we need to remember we need to remember who we really are in our natural state without Christ. Whether you've been a Christian for a week or a month. You know, some of you have only been a Christian for a couple of years. You remember what it was like beforehand. You, you see this big, huge difference, what it was like before you gave your life to Jesus. That's awesome. Remember that. Don't forget that. But for those of us who've been a Christian a long time, I think we have a tendency to forget. Hey, I was only a 12-year-old boy. I wasn't that bad. I was disobedient to my parents, though, quite often if you ask them. And so it's important for us to remember. Let's not, let's not make the gospel smaller. Let's not limit the gospel. Let's remember how lost we are without him, and let's remember how wonderful and perfect and godly and good that he is so that the gospel can be as big as it is to get us from here to here by putting our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to save us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us, guides us. Father, we thank you for protecting your word over the years, the decades, the centuries. God, help us, like this church in Rome, to never forget how messed up we were, how just black hearted and sinful we were or would be without Christ in our lives. God, we thank you for the gospel, the truth about Jesus that he came and gave his life for us. And by putting our faith and trust in him and him alone, we can experience salvation. We can experience the fact that the penalty, uh, the wrath of God, your own wrath has been satisfied by what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for that. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay for our sins. And help us to live in a way that reflects our belief, that reflects the change in our hearts and our minds. And God, help us bring others with us. Help us to share the gospel with those who are in that downward spiral so that you can do a mighty work in their hearts and their minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.